a class in college called Music and Worship. It wasn't on how to play guitar, but it was how to lead music like this with the conducting. And I can remember thinking, like, what is the point of this, you know? I'm going to be a pastor of a mega church, you know, and they'll have a band and they'll have a people that can do that. And Doc Van, he's with the Lord now, he looked at me and he said, Lewis, you're going to go pastor a small country church that doesn't have a music leader and you're going to have to lead singing. And I thought, you're crazy. There is no way. And now, years later, I think about where we all are. But we need to sing with our church family. There's times when we may not feel like singing. There's times when we may not feel like worshiping. And it doesn't matter how good we are or how great the guitar, the piano, or whatever we have available that day is. Sometimes the recorded music. But we need to sing songs together as a church. Because it pleases God. Because we worship God. And because we edify others. Because we remind each other that Christ is our vision. That he's better than all the riches of the world, right? I love those last two verses of, be thou my vision. It challenges me and what do I put my hope in? What is my treasure? Well, with that, let me get to what's actually my sermon for this morning. Would you please turn to the book of Acts as we start a new sermon series through this New Testament book. It's going to be longer than our series was in Titus or in Micah. It'll actually be longer than Titus and Micah combined. I was trying to think today or the other day about what exactly the timeline was going to be for this series. And the best I could come up with is that we'll definitely finish after baby Roloff is born. But I don't think we'll be done by the time baby Roloff, or we hopefully will be done by the time baby Roloff turns one. So somewhere in that time period, if that makes sense. Before we look at God's word this morning, let's pray and ask his blessing on our time together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and how he is our great high priest, how he is our vision, how we can trust in him, how he's better than all the riches that we possess, how he's our greatest treasure. And God acts as a book that focuses on your son, Jesus Christ, and so may we focus on him this morning, and, may, and through your word, may we be edified, may we be strengthened, and may we be blessed. God, bless me as I preach your word. Give me focus, give me energy, give me strength, give me wisdom in how to explain these concepts well. In Christ's name, amen. I've got some pictures on the screen for you. Maybe you can tell me what these things have in common. The first one... Chronicles of Narnia, Prince Caspian. All right. The second one, Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back. The third one, The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. The last one, Toy Story 2. Now, these are not just all my favorite movies from my childhood or something. Can anybody tell me what do these four movies have in common? They're all fiction. <laughs> They are all sequels. So I guess they are all part of larger series, but they are all sequels in a larger series of movies. And so Toy Story 1 is followed by Toy Story 2. Now they've got, I don't know how many different Disney movies after that that have the same 
characters in it. Star Wars Empire Strikes Back follows Star Wars A New Hope. Now, it's technically episode five, so don't know how you want to do the math there, but it was the second movie that they made. The Lord of the Rings of Two Towers is actually the second part of that series. It was one book that Tolkien wrote, and when he sent it to the publisher, it was all three books in one, and it was like at least over a thousand pages long, and they said, you've got to break this up into something so that people can read through this, and then um, the Chronicles of Narnia, Prince Caspian. As we look at our book, the book of Acts this morning, Acts is a sequel. Acts is a sequel to the Gospel of Luke. It was written by Luke, who we see actually in the pages of the book of Acts. He was a doctor. He was a historian. And Acts and Luke go together. They were both written to a man named Theophilus, who was some kind of wealthy businessman who probably financed Luke's writings and travels with Paul. So Acts is a famous sequel. It's the second part of Luke's writings in the New Testament. And as we start the book of Acts this morning, I want us to consider why we should study the book of Acts. It's a long book. It's 28 chapters. And instead of doing an overview sermon like I did with Titus or like I did with Micah, Acts is such a long book. I don't think you want me to preach 28 chapters in one sermon. That may go longer than any of my other sermons combined. It's a huge book to try to look at. But if we read the first 11 verses of Acts, what we see is actually an outline and a summary of what is going to go on throughout the entire book. So the question I want on our minds and on our hearts this morning as we study the book of Acts is this. Why should we study Acts? Of all the other books I could have chosen in the Bible, of all the other topics I could speak on this morning, why should we spend the next several months studying this book? Before we dive into the text, I want to talk about a few background issues in Acts. First of all, the author is Luke. Luke traveled with Paul on his journeys. He was a doctor. He was very precise. A lot of people call him the writer of certainty. He liked to get details right. He liked to get background right. Luke is very certain in his writing because he was a doctor. He traveled with Paul on many of his missionary journeys. You'll see in the book of Acts, he will say we oftentimes. He wrote this book, the date, in the early 60s A.D. He wrote it in the early 60s A.D. This would have been after Paul was in Rome. So Luke gets us to Paul, who was in Rome in the early 60s. But it would have been before Paul's death and before the destruction of the temple. I say that because had these events happened, Luke would have certainly put them in the book of Acts at the end somewhere. Now, lastly, I want to talk about the purpose of the book of Acts. The purpose of Acts is to show us how the early church understood and obeyed the mission of God. The book of Acts shows us how the early church understood and obeyed the mission of God. We're going to see in this text the great commission, the mission of God, Christ giving it to his disciples, and then how they take that mission and they go into all the world and they make disciples. And so ask yourself the question, why should I study the book of Acts? 
Why are we studying the book of Acts? As Luke shows us three different pictures of Christ. First of all, we see a risen Savior. Look at that with me in verses 1 through 5. Starting in verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. So we start seeing this first book. We see the Acts is a sequel. What was the first book? It was the Gospel of Luke. What was it about? All that Jesus did and taught. In fact, turn with me to Luke's Gospel. Luke chapter 1. Starting in verse 1. In as, in as much as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who were from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. So he's writing this book of Luke. He's followed it closely. He's trying to have certainty. He's trying to follow the story. He interviewed different eyewitnesses of the Gospel of Luke. And what is the purpose of the Gospel of Luke? Look with me at verse 4. That you may have certainty concerning the things which you have been taught. The Gospel of Luke is to give Theophilus, a Gentile believer, certainty and understanding who Christ was and why he lived and died. So this starts us in verse 1. He's talking about the first book. Then verse 2 catches us up to where we are in the book of Acts. Until the day when he was taken up. When is that? The ascension. And that's how Acts starts. That's the first story that we're about to look at. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. we got to look at a couple of these phrases here. First of all, what are the commands? What's the great commission? Go into all the world, make disciples, be my witnesses, right? Now notice this word, through the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? The Holy Spirit, we know, is the third person of the Trinity. It's the spirit that Christ would send after he ascended. And they, com they complete the Great Commission. They do this work of God in the power of the Holy Spirit. He gives the Holy Spirit to the apostles. There's a lot of talk about the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. Do we understand that? There's a lot of misconceptions about the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. What is the purpose of the Spirit? To empower the apostles as they complete the mission of God. And sometimes that looks different in different parts of the book of Acts than it does today. Look with me at verse 2. As, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. These were men who were given apostleship by Christ. He specifically and specially appointed them. Am I an apostle? No. Are you an apostle? No. Christ chose these people, 
these 12 people, 11 at this time, they're about to choose one more for this specific task to share the gospel, to take the gospel into the entire earth. And the apostles would be, as Paul says in Ephesians, the establishment of this. They would establish this, and then we would continue this as his disciples. Now look with me at verse 3. He, being Christ, giving us some more background information, presented himself alive. Christ resurrected, he rose from the grave. He is a risen Savior. And these five verses show us that Christ is risen. He presented himself alive to them after his sufferings. When was his sufferings? At the cross, right? When Christ suffered and died on the cross for sins. He presented himself alive by what? Many proofs. Christ appeared to his disciples. He showed them. Now, if it were me, I would hope that Christ coming and after being dead, appearing alive in full body would be enough for me to understand that he was risen from the dead. What were some of the other proofs? He let, he ate. And it says in the Bible, as he ate, the disciples were kind of watching to see, is the food going to fall through? Or is he actually going to be able to eat? Thomas stuck his hand into Christ's side. Christ was truly alive. And Luke shows us a risen Savior. He presented himself alive to them in verse 3. Then look with me. After his sufferings, by many proofs, appearing to them for 40 days, speaking about the kingdom of God. Why 40 days? You want to know my opinion? I don't think it matters that much. I don't think there's any symbolism behind the 40 days except that's how long he was on earth for. Some people try to say it's the children of Israel in the wilderness or something else. I just think he was here for 40 days. 40 is a significant number, but we don't really know why 40 days, except that's what happened. Then notice that last phrase with me. Speaking about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is important in Acts. It is the next part of God's rule and reign over the earth. They know the kingdom is going to come soon. In fact, they're going to ask questions about this. They're going to wonder when this kingdom is coming. Christ is teaching them about this kingdom. Notice that with me. Christ is teaching them, speaking about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not unimportant. The kingdom of God is not a distraction, but it's actually something Christ gave time and energy to instructing them in. Do we understand that? That the kingdom of God was part of Christ's teaching. But later on, we'll see the kingdom of God was not now. That's something we have to understand together. That that Christ isn't saying the kingdom is starting now or that the kingdom is not important. But he's saying the kingdom would come later. So this is what Christ was doing while he was on the earth after his resurrection speaking to them, showing that he was alive, and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now notice verse 4 with me. And while staying with them, so Christ is living with them, he's in this time of transition and waiting, what does he do? He orders them not to depart from Jerusalem. Why? 
Why would they have to stay in Jerusalem? Because they're waiting for something. They're waiting for something. And you'll see that with me as we continue to study this passage. They're waiting for something to happen. What are they waiting for? The promise of the Father. God has promised them something, and they need to wait in Jerusalem. They couldn't start the mission yet. And this is important for us to understand as we study Acts. That Christ was not having them start this mission yet on earth. They're waiting for the promise of the Father. What is this promise? Look with me at the end of verse 4, end of verse 5. You have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with what? The Holy Spirit. They're waiting on the Spirit of God to come. What was John's baptism about? It's a baptism of repentance. It was waiting for Christ to come, preparing them for the Messiah. Christ's baptism that he had showed that he was God. It confirmed that Christ was God and it also inaugurated his earthly ministry. Why are we baptized? We're baptized to, in water to show that we are followers of Jesus Christ. And spirit baptism is something that would come for the apostles here in a couple chapters in Acts. And we'll see that together. So in verses 1 through 5, we see the risen Savior, this risen Christ who would come. And as we see this risen Savior, he's really clarifying to them what is the next part of the mission. What else is going to happen? We see a lot of Christ in the book of Acts. Even though he ascends, and we'll see that, we'll look at that, study that more momentarily we see that Acts, and this is the first reason why I believe we should study Acts, we see that Acts is a book about Christ. Acts is a book about Christ. It's not a book necessarily just about the Holy Spirit. Does it talk about the Holy Spirit? Yes. Is it just about the Holy Spirit? No. It's not a book just about the apostles. It's not a book just about the church. Acts is a book about Jesus Christ. And so we should study Acts together. It starts with his ascension. We then see the witnesses of Christ go into the world and make disciples of all nations. Every time you see someone witness, who are they telling about? Christ. Every time you see them do a miracle, they do it in the name of Christ. When Stephen is martyred, who does he see? In the heavens, looking down at him, Christ. Acts is a book about Christ. And it's a book about how we can serve and know Christ better. We should study Acts because it's a book about Christ. Notice with me, secondly, a second focus of this book, or a second picture of Christ. And at the end of it, we'll see a second reason we should study Acts. We see a focused Savior. A focused Savior. Look with me at verses 6 through 8. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, why would they be thinking this? Why would they be having questions about this? Because Christ has been talking about the kingdom. 
I don't think some people are really hard on the disciples at this moment. I don't think we should be as hard. I still don't think they quite get it, but I kind of want to cut them some slack. Why are they asking about the kingdom? Well, because Christ has been talking about it. Because Christ has been teaching them about the kingdom of God. So they ask, when is the kingdom going to be restored? They've been waiting on this kingdom to come, this physical kingdom given to Israel. And now they have this question, when is it going to actually happen? And so, notice Christ's answer with me. And I don't think this is as much of a rebuke from Christ as we might sometimes believe. Look at verse 7. It is not for you to know the times or the seasons the Father has fixed by his own authority. Does he tell them that there's no kingdom, that the kingdom is spiritual, that it's now? No, that's not what he tells them. Does he tell them, you guys are foolish, you shouldn't, be, uh, you shouldn't think about the kingdom at all? That's not really what he tells them. What does he say? The timing of the kingdom is not now. It's fixed by the Father. It's coming in his own authority. It's not for you to know the timing of the kingdom. The kingdom would come in its own time, in its own special way. The Father has fixed it in his own sovereignty. That's not what you should be focused on. What should the disciples be focused on? The disciples should be focused on the mission of God. What Christ is saying is right now, in this time, during this part of history, you should be focused on the mission of God. And in verse 8, we see what this mission is. But you will receive what? Power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Don't be so focused on the timing of the kingdom, the presence of the kingdom. It's coming. It's going to come in its own time, in its own way. God has that. He's fixed that in his own authority. Instead, focus on this. You should receive power. How will they receive power? Keep reading. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The Spirit of God would come and they would, it, the Spirit of God would empower the church to do the mission of God. When the Holy Spirit comes, what does he say? And you will be my witnesses. The Holy Spirit empowers these believers to testify, to be witnesses of Christ and his gospel. We have a lot of confusion a lot of misunderstanding about the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. We see in the book of Acts, the Spirit enables believers to speak in tongues, to do miracles, to heal people, to have certain types of foretelling prophecy. And I don't think we see those things today. There are believers, there's people who think we see those things today. They have reasons for why they think that. I think those gifts have ceased. So the question is, and we'll run into this as we study Acts, then why do we have them at all? If those were only for this time, then why do we have them at all? I think it's for the establishment, for the building up 
of the church at this specific time. Those gifts needed to happen. People needed to hear the gospel in their own language. Those things needed to happen in its own time, in its own specific way, so that the gospel could go out and the church could be established. Do we need those gifts today? No. Do we all have Bibles in our own language here? Yes. Is the gospel still going out to all the world? Yes. So I think those gifts have ceased. And we'll come back to this question as we study Acts, because we're going to see the Spirit work, like I said, in some unique ways, in some interesting ways, that I don't think we see Him work today. Instead of focusing on the timing of the kingdom, this coming kingdom, Christ says we should focus on what? Waiting for the Spirit. And we will receive power to be what? This is the main thrust of this commission. Look at verse 8. And you will be my witnesses. You will proclaim Christ. You will testify Christ. When you share the gospel with someone, are you sharing your politics with them? No. Are you sharing your sports team with them? No. Otherwise, you would all be Bears fans. Are you sharing your interests? Do they have to look like you, talk like you, act like you? No, you're being a witness of Christ. And we must remember that. What is the mission of the church? It is to proclaim Christ. It's not to proclaim Lance. It's not to proclaim Schaefer or Tim or Keith or anyone else in this church. It is to proclaim Jesus Christ. Notice where we will be witnesses. We'll get the end here. In Jerusalem. I think we see an outline or a map of how the gospel moves out in the book of Acts. Starting in Jerusalem, then in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. We see the gospel starting to spread, to go out into all of the world. Here we see a focused Savior. A focused Savior. What is Christ focused on? The mission of the church. The gospel going out into all the world. He's focused on the church being built and being established by the apostles. So why should we study Acts? Why should we give our time and our energy to study in this book? Reason number two, we should study Acts because Acts demonstrates obedience to the mission of God. Why should we study the book of Acts? Because Acts shows us how did the early church fulfill and respond to this great commission. How did they do this? First of all, they waited on the Holy Spirit. They waited on the Holy Spirit to come, to empower them. Can we share the gospel in our own power? No. Can we share the gospel in our own strength, in our own name? No. We are dependent on the Spirit. Secondly, notice where they go. They go into all the world, to their hometown first in Jerusalem. This is where they were. This is where they were located. Then to Judea and Samaria, the outside region, and then to the end 
of the earth. There's a lot of people who think they understand the mission of the church, who actually have some backwards ideas of what the mission of the church actually is. The mission of the church is not about you, and it's not about me. It is about witnessing, proclaiming, spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ to the entire world. Why should we study Acts? Acts shows us how we can be faithful in completing this mission. It shows us what the early church focused on. It shows us what they were confident in. Lastly, look at me, look with me at a glorious savior. A glorious savior. Look with me at verses 9 through 11. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on him, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. Imagine being a disciple and looking at this. Christ, as he's speaking to them, as he's talking to them, a cloud comes down and lifts him into the air. They were all amazed at this, watching, gazing, wondering at how could this happen. And notice what else happens in verse 10. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, what else happens? Two men stood by them in white. So there's these two men. They're actually angels, I believe. And they're looking at Christ, or they're looking at the apostles as Christ is being raised into heaven. And they're dressed in white robes. Now, why do I think they are angels? Well, look back with me at Luke 24. Part of how we know that Luke and Acts are together, how Acts is a sequel to Luke, is because the beginning of Acts and the end of Luke actually go together pretty well. In Luke 24, we see this resurrection. Christ is risen from the dead. And as we see Christ is resurrected, we also run into two men who are clothed in white, who remind them, it says in verse 4, they're clothed in dazzling apparel. And they instruct the disciples about the resurrection of Christ. Then at the end of Luke, we see the ascension. Now turn back to Acts. We see these two men are giving some confirmation of what is going on here with the ascension. And I find it very interesting what they say. Look with me at verse 11. And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? To put it in modern terms, why are you still looking at Christ? Who's risen, who's ascended into heaven? Now again, I tend to have some more sympathy with the apostles here. Maybe you don't. But I would say they have a pretty good reason for looking at Christ, wouldn't you? If your teacher, your master was here on earth with you and all of a sudden you saw a cloud lift him up into heaven, don't you think you would be watching him? Yet the angels are saying, why are you looking at this guy? Go and do what he's commanded you to do. What do they say? Men of Galilee, why do you stand and look into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you will come in the same way 
as you saw him go into heaven. Why should we study the book of Acts? This is important. Why should we study the book of Acts? Because Acts reminds us that Christ is coming again. Acts reminds us that Christ is coming again and that we want to be found faithful. Acts tells us about Christ. It's a book about Jesus Christ. Acts shows us how the early church was faithful to the mission of God. And Acts reminds us that Christ is coming again and that you and I want to be found faithful. Reminds me of when my mom would leave when we were children and she'd tell us, you'd better have your rooms clean before I come back from the store. And you put it off and you wait and you play video games or you play outside or something. And then all of a sudden you are reminded with a phone call that she's coming back. And you try to do all the chores and all the things you were supposed to do in five to ten minutes to try to be ready for when she returns. And you see that car coming into the driveway. And you see her pull in. Christ is returning. Christ is coming again. And he will come in full glory. So how can we be a church on mission? How can we as Sycamore Bible Church be a church that is focused on the mission of God? Consider some of these things with me. First of all, we can understand and believe the gospel. Not saying you're not a Christian. I trust, I hope, that all of us have put our faith and trust in Christ. But this is the first way, this is the first step in being found faithful in following the mission of the church. Do you understand and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ? It's not a self-help gospel. It is not a gospel that is going to bring you wealth and prosperity and happiness. Do you understand that? It is not a gospel that's all about you. It's not a gospel that is a get-out-of-jail-free card. It is the gospel, like Paul says, of God. It is God's gospel. Do you understand this gospel? Have you accepted it? Do you believe it? Have you repented from your sins? Have you trusted in Christ? Secondly, make the right priorities. Make the right priorities. What do I mean by this? Many churches try to follow the mission of the church by getting involved in politics, by getting their church on the news, by standing up for social issues, by being concerned with about everything else that doesn't matter except for the mission of the church. You see, you'd find a lot of churches today that would say, our mission is to go and make disciples, but you would see them do very little of that. Do you have the right priorities? Sycamore Bible Church, are we more focused as a church on making disciples, on seeing lost people saved, on growing in Christ, on being his witnesses? Are we more concerned about those things? Do we have the right priorities? Thirdly, depend on the power of the Spirit. Depend on the power of the Spirit. What do I mean by that? 
I am not sufficient to share the gospel on my own. If it were up to me and my own power and my own strength, I would fumble around with my words. I would act foolishly. I would mess up. Depend on the power of the Spirit. We all struggle sometimes. We can all have fear as we're sharing the gospel. We can all be afraid. We can all feel like, I can't do this. Well, the truth is you can't. The truth is you can't share the gospel on your own. You can't be a witness without the Holy Spirit. We're going to see in the book of Acts how they waited and they were dependent on the Spirit of God for help. They could have, you know, you would expect them to go and make disciples right at this moment. But that's not what they do. Instead, they wait. Instead, they are dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit. Lastly, testify Christ in your city and beyond. Testify Christ in your city and beyond. What do I mean by this? Some people think about the mission of the church, and they think that it means we have to have a big missions program, a big missions budget. They think it means we have to have these huge outreach events, these giant programs. And that means we're faithful to follow the mission of the church. I don't think that's true. How do we follow the mission of the church? How do we share the gospel? Who is your neighbor? Who is a person that you could share the gospel with? One thing that I've been convicted of is my family. Have I been faithful to share the gospel to my family members, to those immediately around me? My extended family, my friends, my neighbors. Testify the gospel to Trafalgar, to the surrounding region, maybe it's Indiana, and then to the entire world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of the gospel, how it changes us, how it helps us become more like Christ. Father, I pray that we would be found as faithful witnesses. Father, I pray that we would be faithful to obey the mission of God in the church. God, we thank you for these wonderful testimonies, these wonderful servants of you in the book of Acts who faithfully take your gospel in to the uttermost parts of the world. How we see them share the gospel in Jerusalem and in Judea and to the uttermost parts of the earth. God, help us to have, to understand and believe the gospel as a church, Lord. God, may no one here not understand what the gospel is. May all of us understand that it's Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection, his power that we preach, that we are faithful to. God, help us to make the right priorities as a church, to not be focused on social issues, to not be focused on our own personal agendas. God, help us to depend on your spirit. May we depend on your spirit 
for help, for hope, for the power and strength that we need. And God, may we be faithful witnesses here as a church to our city, to our community and beyond. In Jesus' name, amen.